Hello and welcome to Softcats Explain It podcast. This is the first episode of a brand new fifth season. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. So why are we here? Well, we want to explain it. We'll be talking tech in simple language, free from jargon. We're here to explain it better. Whether it be a tech trend, a new or emerging area in the industry, or to simply look through the lens of technology today, we're here to provide thoughts, opinions, and insights that make sense. It's incredible that we are into year five of running what I think is the best technology podcast in the UK. To say that Explain It is the best technology podcast in the world is a bit bold, but I will hang my hat on the best in the UK and caveat that as the presenter, I'm naturally biased. So the key is in the title. And on that note, let me introduce today's topic, the big wide world of the metaverse, the good, the bad, and potentially very ugly. We'd love for you to play a part in this new series. So if you have any thoughts on our discussions or have questions on these key topics, we'd like to hear from you. So please do email us at explainit at softcat.com. Are you a metaverse user? Can you see it becoming part of your life, either for work or fun? Let us know. Thankfully, I'm not alone to ponder these questions. I'm gleefully joined by Andy Lamb, Softcat's account chief technologist, another returning cast member in Adam Luca. Softcat's Chief Technologist for Security. And we also have a special guest, Harry Ellis, Business Manager for Mixed and Virtual Reality, all the way from our friends at Tech Data. So thanks for joining me, guys. Let's get stuck in. What is the metaverse and why should we care? I'll go to Andy for that one. Hello. Thank you. The metaverse is essentially just a bunch of connected worlds, ultimately, that you can experience a, a virtual environment similar to that you would have a physical environment so it's kind of the evolution from the internet it's kind of an evolution from virtual reality and it's the combination of those two things if you've ever seen the, the film ready player one that is essentially the, the world that we're moving to within the metaverse so lucas what's your thoughts why is it important why is the metaverse such a an important thing that seems to be a topic of conversation on a regular basis from a lot of the the big companies out there at the moment i think when we think about the pandemic and how that's probably shifted society you know we were all forced to go into this isolation mode and, and actually i think that's sparked renewed interest in this idea of creating how can we create these amazing virtual experiences whether that's from a practical work perspective and and trying to bring individuals together but it or in a form of escapism isn't it and we think about how massively multiplayer online games have evolved and created these communities well to me the next evolution of that is well how can i become more immersed in those worlds there's then also the opportunity isn't there and i you know i can't put words into mark zuckerberg's uh, mouth but if you think about facebook and its business model as an advertiser well one of the key limitations as an advertiser is the physical space i can only sell the same billboard once but when you start thinking about augmented reality and being able to apply virtual overlays to the physical world, all of a sudden I can have a million billboards everywhere, you know, and actually all of a sudden I can have those billboards display an advert that's specifically relevant to you and your interests. So you start to think that bridging of the idea of advertising and advertising experiences now coming into the real world. So I kind of expect there's a first mover advantage, the person who can become the billboard company for the virtual world or the augmented world or the mixed reality world, you know, is going to have quite lucrative opportunities fundamentally as these experiences become, I guess, part of our lives. And do you think that's why obviously Facebook now have changed their name to Meta? They're kind of using this concept and they, they do you think they're moving to that sort of first mover piece? Is that, is that where you think they're going at the moment? 
I think that would be my my indication. I mean, for me, it you know, started with the, the acquisition of Oculus, didn't it? You know, that was the the first sort of move they made. And at the time, Oculus Rift, I had a Oculus Rift development kit. I was uh, loved uh, kind of getting that early a- access into what sort of the third generation of virtual reality looked like, and it was amazing. You know, anyone who who has experienced it for the first time, you suddenly realise, wow, it, it is it is something different, and you do feel so present in that experience. There's something so immersive about about those virtual reality, but I think it was seen maybe as a toy. It was seen as a as a game. It was seen as something you might use at home to play some play a few games. You know, it was almost like the. Uh, do you remember when the Wii came out with the old? Uh, was it what was it the Wii U? No, it wasn't the U. What was before the Wiimote? Yeah, and we were all playing tennis in our uh, in our houses, thinking how amazing we were. None of us got any good at tennis. I might I might <laughs> add, but um, but I I think what's happened is it's gone from the realms of a game into actually something that has business application as well. Um, yeah. Both opportunity for organizations like Facebook is now meta to capitalize on and, and unfortunately and probably slight scarily, slightly scarily continue to track our movements and our interests and service tailored and specific adverts. But also there's a, a lot of applications for for more professional use cases actually you know whether that's understanding what your house is going to look like that's about to be built or um providing uh, assistive um support to an engineer repairing an engine somewhere you know it's it's fundamentally this idea that bringing virtual concepts to the physical world enriches our lives in either a professional or a social way so it's a, it's a couple of things you've mentioned there um, and we'll come on to those it's the it, w- marketing aspect you mentioned um that kind of blending the reality with the virtual and the marketing sense. And you also mentioned a device, obviously Oculus, and there's obviously a devices boom, I guess, or there's going to be a lot more devices coming to the market. So let's touch upon those two areas. And actually, we'll go on the device first. And and Harry, it's good to hear you. And just get your thoughts, because obviously your role within your job is very much around the device aspect of um, this world. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so my world sits around that hardware in all its shapes and forms, be that virtual reality, augmented reality, or even down to sort of what you might consider assisted reality, where ultimately, it's a pair of smart glasses, which function as a heads up display, and doesn't do much in the way of what you might consider the metaverse, but it's pulling down data from the cloud from over 5G, however that may be. And it's presenting it to you in a way that you haven't really seen before or it's new information that you wouldn't be able to have otherwise or if you're a hands-on worker and you need to do your work with both your hands and you need to be able to see and interact with whatever it may be schematics or diagrams or anything like that or if you need assistance from a third party whilst you're continuing to perform your actions those are the kinds of uh, pieces that the hardware really brings together so be it Microsoft's HoloLens or Magic Leap or any of those things yeah it's, the, the options are becoming more and more uh, every day and and you just said it there really the use cases are various it's not just one thing we're talking about the metaverse here which is it's kind of a, an evolving landscape but it's augmented reality is something that happens today in certain industries and certain businesses where wearable tech is is part of what they're doing yeah absolutely and uh, there's really two drivers for it you'll see augmented reality and the thing to remember is it's not always attached to a specialist device your mobile phone your tablet has dedicated processing power to augmented reality so if you're using snapchat and you're using filters on your friends then there is a code in there which is specifically designed to look at the space around it using the cameras on the device and change that that has colossal impact around what you can then do in in a business space and uh, as well just by changing what is actually on screen what's available and then how you present that back to the user can be on a camera it can be on a across a, a zoom call it can be 
on a headset in a in a hologram there's numerous ways you can do that now and that's happening today so what we're seeing is that's that's being embedded into everybody's lives and the whole generation of people using as you say devices that has that built in via apps so the next evolution of that are we seeing that next evolution becomes what luca you said earlier a bit more immersive suddenly you're wearing something and going into a world where this experience is not in the in in the reality of today where we're augmenting stuff on it is going into a, a virtual world where we're going to be interacting and talking and doing things in that way where, where you know the metaverse becomes such an, a much more important part of that evolution yeah i mean it, the, the the piece with the metaverse is really we've we've interacted now for maybe 30 40 years with the digital world via a portal via your pc your smartphone or anything like that that the metaverse really is going to be created by people that find ways to bring the usage of the digital world to the real world and be that in a sort of a gaming or or consumer sense or an enterprise sense it doesn't take much time for someone to try out one of these devices and think of a new use case for them so it's a really powerful tool to sort of have these devices and look at them and, and and see them physically and understand them and if you put them in the hands of a user they'll instantly go oh wouldn't it be cool if wouldn't that be great wouldn't there be we oh we have an idea this would be really useful if we could do it here or and they'll create their own idea of what the metaverse should be but then you just need someone to come in and orchestrate that and i think that's a really uh, a really key part one of my um favorite use cases i've seen personally and a, a great example of what harry was talking about there you know about just give these devices to somebody and they will find a use case for them is um networks and switches when I say augmented reality opportunities, how many of us are sitting there going, do you know what's going to be a great opportunity for that switches, network switches? But um, Ubiquiti, Unify, they created a augmented reality part on their app, their management app. So if you go up to one of their switches in a switch cabinet, you can show it to your phone and it will tell you all the ports. It will tell you what it's plugged into. It will tell you whether or not they're live. It will tell you the IP address. It will tell you you can run tests. You know, all of a sudden going from that bit where you're sitting in a server cabinet or you're sitting in a, in a rack and you're going, bloody hell, what that, what's that thing plugged into? Oh, go and try and log on to the switch and work it out. And you just think like, it's a network device. It's, it's not the first thing you're thinking about when you think about AR, but actually it's about bringing that real-time information you know, to your visual processing, something that we've just never been able to do before. You know, you've always had to go on to something else, but that ability to just do that quickly and have the information you need to your hands is, is generally a, a game changer when it comes to performing quite a lot of tasks in our day-to-day lives. And I suppose this is about capturing those use cases from what you've both said there. And then obviously having software developers developing that software to kind of utilize the technology that's, you know, being worn and and obviously having the software that interacts with the user in that way. So, yeah, I can imagine that's going to be an evolving landscape. But in that evolving landscape, and I'm coming to the second point I think I mentioned earlier, that marketing aspect of this whole new world that's emerging. If you're going into this immersive uh, experience, and and Andy, I'll look at you for this one if if, if you want to add comment, Um, that whole marketing piece, where do you think that's going in terms of how that's going to be looking at the consumer? Well, I think the whole marketing piece is, is another avenue, isn't it, for revenue for, for a lot of companies. So as Adam mentioned, you buy one billboard, you're limited to the number of people that physically walk past or drive past that billboard. If you take marketing into the metaverse, as more and more people start to move into these virtual worlds, 
your potential target base is going to be much larger. But it's more than that, because if you're going to go into the metaverse, why have just a virtual billboard? There's nothing really exciting about that. You're not confined necessarily by the laws of physics in a virtual world. So if you wanted to get a big advert in the sky today, you're going to need a plane with something trailing behind it with a message in it. In the metaverse, you can just change the sky to an advert. <laughs> you know, you could pay to do that. You could pay to have a planet just slowly move past in people's view, you know, with a sponsorship logo on it. So the realms of what you can do marketing wise is going to be completely different to, to what we're used to. And kind of touching on, you know, Facebook becoming meta and, that sort of early adoption i think what we're seeing is a bit more of a wild west because there's multiple different versions of people's metaverses so there is a bit of a land grab going on there is a little bit of a you know the, the kind of the gold rush um people are still trying to work out how best to target people in that space um what's working what isn't working but essentially you're seeing organizations that are moving to that space and the early adopters are making a lot of money from it and it's not just about that kind of completely virtual world but if you look at some of the, the way that gaming's going Fortnite made 1.8 billion pounds in 2018 on in-app purchases just because their avatar looks different so there's no benefit to the game you don't need to look different but people want that virtual their personality to be reflected and again you're not constrained to your body size or shape or your age you can do whatever you like in that space so it's allowing people to be more creative and kind of be a version of themselves that they want to be. And from a marketing perspective, you can really tap into that. People can be far more individual in a virtual world than they can in a physical world because they're not defined by the laws of physics. I guess, Andy, there's uh, two sides to that, isn't there, as well? Because there's also the uh, people can be what they want to be, but people can also be as horrible as they want to be, isn't there? You know, unfortunately, when you're not constrained by the physical world, it expands your reach to do bad things, you know, and, and we've seen that through trolling and online abuse. And we've seen that through cyber stalking and, and various ways that digital worlds and digital experiences have ended up becoming negative and, and actually allowed people to, to play out their, their worst fantasies rather than actually allowing us to be these sort of free creative human beings. That is the, the kind of positive way. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how and whether we will implement a foundation that maybe helps us navigate some of the misses that were made when the internet came around the first time. And there's always going to be this kind of dichotomy between control and freedom, you know, and actually one of the founding principles of, of that kind of internet was it was that based upon those academic principles of freedom and that you, people were allowed to do what they wanted on there. But I think arguably now with the experiences we've had over the last 20, 30 years, in that online world actually starting to realize that potentially we can't just have total freedom actually total freedom becomes total anarchy and and actually whether or not we'll try and put some of the founding principles of of identity into this type of world where you won't just be able to turn up anonymously you know you will have to tie it back to physical identity or otherwise that will have to try and help us head off some of these challenges as the virtual world stops becoming the second class citizen and actually potentially becomes the primary citizen or the primary world you want to live in is online well then you probably want it to be managed in the same way you would the physical environment yeah and i think if you look at a lot of the sort of psychology experiments that have done where you allow people to have utmost control but be anonymous that human nature people do start to push the boundaries um and as you said we've seen it with trolling we've seen it with um 
you know, anonymous kind of uh, behavior where people post horrible things online. I think you're right. As people become more virtual, that, in your words, becomes the primary space that they live in is virtualized. Linking that back to an individual is going to be important. But I think the metaverse, if you have multiple different metaverses and you make them all interoperable so you can move between them, that becomes much easier because that digital footprint just becomes your footprint. So if you go to you know, uh, Meta's metaverse, then you go to one done by Google, one done by you know, other vendors and things, then actually as long as all of those things are transferable between it, you can start to build up that pattern of what people are doing, trace that back to individuals and allow that level of protection. But I think you know it is the Wild West at the moment. You've got you know virtual casinos have been set up that you know people may not have to go through any age checks to to do that um you've got people who are physical people having a virtual job which is really bizarre to me that you know they're working in a virtual casino they may not be old enough to physically be in the casino in the country that they're operating from or gambling may be illegal in the country that they're in but they're working in a a virtual casino and you know in one of these metaverse worlds that's going to take time for lawyers you know, governments to catch up with. And I think, as you've seen it with the internet, it often outstrips the underlying law with it. This is another example where legislators do need to be aware of what's going on. The opportunity space is fantastic, but as you said, the negativity that can be attributed to it as well is also going to be uh, be quite scary. So I'll be saying there, you know, we're saying there's, you know, we've got governance in the real world. You know, we, we, we have elections, et cetera. And then suddenly these virtual worlds are being built these, you know, and in the real world, we can we can track the digital footprint more than we've ever been able to do. And these organisations are doing that effectively um, to help their business grow. And obviously, as it goes into this wild west, as you're calling it, it literally is a new world of governance, a new world of elections of of what? I, I, I mean, who, who can envisage what that looks like? Well, some some of the metaverse worlds are owned by the user base, so in theory they can vote for how they want it to grow and evolve so you have an element of democracy there already i think the challenge is the controls and governance around that democracy you don't want to continually have people voting daily for changes because i think the rate of change is going to then outstrip the pace which people can learn to utilize those changes if people dabble in in the metaverse they spend a couple of hours a week rather than a couple of hours a day if that world is evolving faster than anything they've experienced in the physical world then they're going to get left behind they're going to struggle and they're just going to disengage and probably go and do something which is a more comfortable pace of change for them so whoever's creating these worlds needs to balance that between what you can do and what you should do in basis of their user base because you need to have a stable environment because you want a large number of people there the more people there the, the better the chance for revenue is because you know the adverts are going to hit more people if you're going to be selling virtual assets or nfts for example you want to have a user base there and that's again another opportunity for a lot of organizations to make money from this space is actually by building digital artifacts that people want to pay for and the rules for purchasing is going to be different. If you're a retailer today and you sell a T-shirt, you get the revenue for that T-shirt that's sold at the point of sale. If that person who bought it then resells it, you never see that income again. You've only sold it once. With some conditional contracts you can attach to an NFT, you sell it once, you get a percentage of that as your commission. If they then sell it on, you get a commission from every sale. So it opens up more revenue streams for organizations because they're not just selling something once, they're getting a percentage of every future sale that it may have. And in terms of where we are now, we're seeing 
um, some companies build uh, virtual assets and NFTs for the metaverse, which then unlocks a physical version of it as well. So you can buy some virtual trainers for your avatar and then take that NFT to a website, put in the, the QR code for it, and then order a pair of physical trainers so you can match your physical and virtual selves within that space. So Andy, explain NFT just briefly. What does it stand for? Uh, and from what you're saying, it's like a digital asset. It's a non-fungible token, but essentially it's blockchain. So it's a digital asset. Um, it's a way of proving that something is genuine. So if you have a piece of artwork, for example, the NFT token says that this is that genuine piece of artwork from that artist. It's not a replica. It's not a fake. So you can attribute that and you can create a number of them. So you can have, uh, you know, it can be unique, it can be one of one. You can have a set of, say, 10, uh, 100, whatever it needs to be, but it's a way of validating a digital asset. Okay, that makes sense. So so can you envisage that assets will be created in this virtual world that will be just for the virtual world that can be then tracked, sold and sold on? And, and then could that translate to the real world in some way? We're already seeing it. We're seeing, you know, large companies already doing that. You know, MBA have uh, MBA hotshots, which are NFTs, where you own a moment, a photograph, a video attributed to something within a, a basketball world and basketball game. There's trading for that already. It's no different to you know, when I was growing up. It was things like Pokemon cards. That was a physical asset, but that's what you played with. That's what you traded. Well, now kids are growing up trading virtual assets rather than you know cards or football stickers. It's just how the world has evolved. And there's an interesting analog in the enterprise world where you'll see in um, a, the AEC industry where more and more businesses, are, when they're working, will, will build digital twins. And that will be a, a full 3D model of the building in question, um, which is, for all intents and purposes, life-size in the metaverse. And you can interact with it in the same way you would the real building. So if you're, if you're an engineer, you can interact with that that physical space without having to even be in the building and it will allow you to see what when things were last maintained when they were serviced um what work needs to be done you can you can look at all kinds of things that I mean you don't actually have to be on site and having that sort of digital side of things means that you can save huge amounts of time when it comes to sending people out to different offices and things like that as well yeah harry that's a good that's a good segue actually and the digital twin piece i've heard a lot recently so could you expand on that slightly i think i think i'm getting it that you create a digital version and there's a reality version that's kind of what you were saying is that on the right track yeah exactly that so let's say you're uh, working on an oil rig and you've got your physical oil rig obviously you've got a limited number of people and there's a huge amount of uh, of cost to send someone out to an oil rig to inspect something but if you have a digital twin of that, you can keep logs and make sure that everything is being done as and when it should be. And you can understand that piece of infrastructure without having to have anyone on site. Without going to the oil rig, you can say, well, this oil rig has this system in place and now that needs to be serviced every 60 hours. But I don't need to physically be there. I can have someone on site and then I can remote assist to that person and that per I can instruct that person what to do. I know exactly what they're looking at because I've got an exact model of what that is from my desk here in Slough when they're off in the North Sea. So it's... It's quite a powerful tool in that element. And yeah, that, that fascinates me in that I'd assume there's linkage then between the reality and the virtual sense of that. So sensors may be talking to, to the software so you could get that sort of hybrid model. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you see that already. Um, so there's a bridge, I forget exactly where it is, but it has 
things like tension sensors and it has moisture sensors and it has things like that built into it. And then all those sensors relay back to a digital model. So they know the exact status and condition of that bridge without ever having to go on site and see it because the bridge knows what condition it's in. And if, as soon as it sees actually the moisture is, is too high around this part of foundations, they can send someone out to go and do an on-site survey. So that, that already exists in a, in a sense. It makes me think a little bit though, I guess as we create these digital twins or, or virtual worlds or digital assets, actually all of a sudden we're now increasing our demands on energy to do that. If you're a construction company, you're now not only got the greenhouse gases and pollutions from construction of building, you've now got all of these virtual copies that you're creating to show people around and all the processing and 3D modeling that that takes, I guess. So there, there must be a, a sustainability angle a little bit to this to think about, well, actually, as we create these virtual worlds, actually, how do we do that in a clean way? It's, it's interesting because uh, in that example I just gave around the oil rig, which do you think is going to take more energy, sending a boat or a helicopter with a person out across it or connecting two people via a web link? I haven't done the maths, but uh, there's, there's huge savings on that side, definitely. And there's always going to be the case as, as we produce more and more data, our energy usage is absolutely going to go up with that. Um, so it's, it's always going to be something to be mindful of. And it's not necessarily a solution that the, the tech side is going to solve. Obviously, we're always looking for more and more efficiencies when it comes to building, building those technologies. You always want to have the most power efficient server you can. You always want to have the most power efficient uh, like car, for example. But the energy behind that needs to come through from a, from a source which is, is sustainable as well. And I guess potentially that continues to drive adoption of cloud platforms and, and actually starting to build these digital factories and locations that are close to abundant you know, renewable energy sources rather than, oh, I'm going to put a server in my office and I'm going to pay for energy in a country that mainly uses uh, gas to produce its energy, you know, burning of natural gas versus actually maybe I'm going to put my data center next to a geothermal plant because actually I can get a large amount of renewable energy that, that is always going to be there and doesn't have a, a polluting aspect to it. Absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the big differences is everything we're talking about uses electricity. It isn't fossil fuels. It's not petrol, diesel, you know, kerosene and, and all those other kind of hydrocarbons that we're releasing to the atmosphere. So as long as we continue as a, as a society to look at more green ways of energy you know solar wind geothermal as you've mentioned then a lot of these environments these platforms can be green there is press around cryptocurrencies and the amount of electricity that they use but actually if you're if that is going to be driven by solar as an example then okay it shouldn't matter how much electricity we're using as long as it is green and it's renewable and it isn't increasing you know uh, hydrocarbons being released into the atmosphere your co2 etc so We've talked about the good. I think we've talked about the bad, the ugly. We've kind of gone through, I think, that thread. But what, what I'm hearing, and I'm just keen to understand, is this a whole new area of supply chain that kind of exists in a way today, but very disparate? And it's about how do, how do we build that together in a much more effective way? Because I think you've talked about all of that. And there's not one organization that's doing it, as I can tell. So, so is, is that whole industry of being able to build this new type of digital supply chain, if you will, that's not even physical goods, it's, it's a virtual, uh, a metaverse world of goods. Is that kind of where we're heading and then governing all of that in an effective way? I think so. I think we're at the point now, similar to you know, your VHS, your Betamax, your Blu-ray and HD DVD. We're at a point where you've got lots of competing uh, metaverses for standards and, and controls and governance and across multiple platforms um 
where I think the evolution is going to really accelerate is when there's some commonality, some interoperability between those. Because wouldn't it be fantastic if your avatar in a game such as Fortnite is also your avatar when you're going shopping in a virtual mall? So that if you do bump into one of your online friends, there's that recognition as if you were to bump into one of your physical friends in the real world. That ability to move seamlessly between gaming and retail and business and all those types of things, I think would be useful um, and would help the evolution of, of what it's going to be, but also that governance and that control because that footprint is then much easier to track. It's not a bunch of separate logins, separate identities, separate accounts that are easy to be anonymized and utilized. That if you want to have a world, you know, a virtual world, then you should be able to link that back to some form of true identity to, to, to a real person so that you have that, that control, that space. You can't just break the law and get away with it because it's some throwaway email address that you've set up in a VPN from a different country. There is that traceability and accountability. Yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. So so are we in danger, just from what you're saying, are we in danger of living in this world or in these worlds um, and sort of being Ready Player One style removed from the real world? Is that is that a danger? Do we see that being the thing over the next 10 years? There's a very interesting study that shows that um, virtual reality has the tendency to be approximately 70% more addictive than a standard video game because you get so involved in it because it engrosses you in so many ways because it satisfies so many of your senses and as obviously technology advances that will only ever increase so there is going to be a, a large study and case around do we how, how do you make sure you define the, the places where you're where you're living is it something that we need to look at when it comes to do we need to have a defined amount of set time or or is there a certain amount of exposure you need to the real world and then the metaverse much like people will limit their digital usage it's not uncommon now to hear people say well i won't look at my phone after 9 p.m because i want to switch off and read a book and just exist and be happy we're going to have a similar thing i think probably coming through as the metaverse expands and more and more people have exposure to it they can go one or two ways maybe they'll they'll not want to be a part of it but there'll be some people i think who will be extremely interested and in, and in, and find it a real home for themselves there just hearing you say that i can i can just imagine metaverse addiction will yeah. be here over the next 10 years yeah you can just see it we can see it today with gaming and the addiction Absolutely. to that and, and the addiction to the phones etc that we're all kind yeah, of guilty I mean, of yeah take take your average sort of uh sort of i don't know maybe 16 to, to 30 year old and have a look at how much screen time they get on a mobile phone per day and if you think about that, but in a, in a more engaging, more engrossing environment, and, and we don't know what the content is going to be yet, right? We've, we've speculated around all these things, whether it's games, whether it's enterprise or, or business use or anything like that. We don't know. If, if we went back to the internet 20 years ago, did we know that Instagram was going to be a thing and that there'd be P or TikTok, then people would spend two or three hours a night scrolling through images and videos that largely were irrelevant to them? I think there's an interesting point around, you know, people say I'll switch off at nine o'clock, I won't look at my phone. But, you know, some people switch off reading a book. For, for me, would I want to sit in, you know, the stormy UK in winter reading a book? Or would I want to put on a headset and read a book on a beach somewhere warm? <laughs> you know, you can actually, that might be more relaxing for for somebody. Sit in front of the, the you know, the log burner, so get that heat. But actually, I, it looks like, I'm, and it sounds like I'm lying on a beach somewhere tropical whilst reading a book. Now that's going to be far more relaxing for me. So it's about striking that balance. I think it's going to be different for you know individuals. There will be people that 
end up you know sort of that cross between ready player one and wally where they just live entirely a virtual world they never get out of the same chair and they're completely absorbed by it and there'll be others that will still want to go down to the pub see friends play football whatever sport they're into i think you are going to get that mix but it is about putting the support services in place as you said dean people do become addicted to that virtual world where they can be everything they want to be that's their happier space um compared to what reality may be for them then uh we are going to need to to look at mental health in a different way and, and support those people yeah just an extension of the mental health challenges that exist um today so certainly with with what we can see from studies with devices and usage and addiction to those things. So yeah, it's just kind of maybe adding into that, but at the same time, as you said, Andy, it's giving choice and options to have a different world of maybe happiness and, and opening up things to people that may not be possible in the real world as such. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting um, uh, evolution, I guess. Um, I just want to kind of finish up and talk a bit about the devices a little bit, go back to that, the hardware. Is, Is there this kind of, evolution in that space harry and are you seeing more and more companies now focusing on those devices and the software you sort of talked about it earlier but you know what sort of things do we see you mentioned a few with oculus and um i know we mentioned hololens but what's that look like that landscape today certainly for the the business world yeah well i think that it comes from two angles so you start off and you talk about oculus and right now you can you can place it in the market as probably the predominant virtual reality headset so something like 50% of the the virtual reality headsets that are used on Steam the gaming platform on PC are Oculus Quest 2 that's the latest unit released in in 2020 and 300 pound entry price point it, it you really can't get that much better for the money um, and then you come at it from the other angle and you see these high end devices so um, Vario who make um, both a virtual reality headset and a mixed reality headset and they're enterprise only and they're sort of five and a half thousand pounds and what they do is very very different they have very very different use cases and they have different technologies behind them and different solutions in mind but both are massively pushing out into the market and both are growing at an incredible rate so probably we haven't seen every solution that will come to exist for example there's a lot of speculation in the industry around if, uh, but more likely when Apple will release something. And they are in that area of market maker. If you think about phones before the iPhone, they're nothing like the phones we have today. And that was probably largely driven by what the iPhone did for, for usability and, and interface on that side. So when it comes to devices, we're probably still waiting for a little bit of a renaissance when it comes to the devices, but we're probably not that far away either. Um, and I think that's the really exciting piece is once we know what the metaverse is going to be and what the sort of the, the really core usage is, uh, whether, like I say, that consumer space or the commercial space um, or the interactivity between the two, that will be what drives the hardware. So there's that classic phrase, content is king. When When you have that content in place, it will drive the need for what the hardware is going to be. And virtual reality, like I say, is kind of one piece of that. That's obviously immerses you in a full digital world when you get onto the augmented reality side of things and you're walking down the street and you can see people, but instead of seeing their physical appearance, you see an avatar of them, which is to their design. And that's what you see. Like it's a whole nother kettle of fish, but that piece of hardware 
maybe it's something that exists in like hololens might be a basic version of that but then again maybe there's something else again which is completely different i think um to that to harry's point as well like in the enterprise you've then got to think about how that has knock-on impact so as these new headsets and devices come out fundamentally you've got to think about all the things that sit underneath that to enable that technology you know the majority of these headsets are dumb you know the 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 quest is a is an exception because it is also a processor inside it and it's essentially a self-contained unit but especially at the high end they are just monitors on your eyes but you've got to look at the the specifications of these devices you know you're looking at incredibly high rates of resolution on uh, on these in terms of two screens as well so you're now driving essentially a dual monitor display at high resolution that you need to do 200 um, frames per second so you don't get uh, motion sickness so that's going to evolve the types of equipment we need at the edge you know so the edge processing has to change to support this you know large amounts of graphics processing large amounts of machine learning and potential uh, type workloads that are starting to map an environment and 3d map a space and maybe layer something over so you are talking about quite specific and specialized workloads and then you've got to think you've got to stream the environments to that so there's now the the pressure on the network because all of a sudden you're now pushing you know multi-gigabit connections to these desktops as you're pushing new worlds and then you come back onto the central server environment you start saying well okay i need to be able to render these environments i need to you know i need to create digital assets that are 8k or 16k and you know that means that single assets like 50 gig 100 gig for like just a, a single you know asset that you might drop into an old and then you've got to store that and then you've got to do you know what i mean so like the edge starts out not simply simply but it, it becomes the the gateway into the potential and the moment that somebody says to you you can have a you know a, two screens on your eyes that are 200 frames the next thing is how the hell do i drive that and and that drives the innovation and that drives the desire i remember when the you know, the first time I, as I said, I tried a, an Oculus Quest. All of a sudden, you're sitting there going, "I need a more powerful graphics card because I need to run this thing at full capacity, full power, and I need to get the frames per second." So, I can see that knock-on event coming through, both in the enterprise and the commercial, and it will start to drive that innovation, I guess, within the rest of the tech stack that supports that. So, question for Harry: What is um, happening in the enterprise in this space? And if an organisation wanted to make their first step into looking at some of this technology, what are your suggestions? I think one of the first call-outs is to really understand what kind of a solution you're, what you're trying to achieve. What's the what's the actual end goal? Is it a training piece? Is it an on the on the job piece for field engineers to really ascertain what your objective is? when you're deploying this it's one of those things we've obviously spoken quite a lot around all the variety of things that we expect might might come to pass with the metaverse in the future the entry points right now are are quite simple i think so you have maybe a training scenario in virtual reality there's some quite cool technology from hewlett packard who have a a headset which can do things like monitor your pulse it can watch your irises and measure pupil dilation it can watch facial expressions so you can put people in training environments and see what their emotional reactions are like maybe it's something as simple as a virtual meeting room with something like an oculus and spatials uh, meeting software but then on the augmented reality side you've got hololens who have sort of remote assistance tools which will allow you to to have that that hologram of the person that's alongside you helping you put the schematic up up in front of you and you can do that all wirelessly um, from a remote location be that wherever as long as you've got a 5g connection you'll probably be absolutely fine if you want to look at sort of on the job training uh, microsoft have a software called guides which ultimately will allow you to pre-record the the process of events that you need to say operate a piece of machinery so if you have someone that is 
familiar with your workshop but has never used a particular machine and needs to be able to understand what and how to use that device you they can put they can go in without any assistance put the headset on and it will talk them through which buttons to push where to go what to look at what to look for have they put their gloves on you show the camera your, your hands and it can see that you're now wearing gloves all that kind of stuff and you can kind of record those processes so they're very very simple um, solutions that are in place right now but they become extremely cost effective when you when you look at the, the wider picture so like, as i mentioned with the oil rig if you have to have one expert on every oil rig the whole time and you have to get him to and from or maybe change oil rigs is that going to be more expensive than having one expert in an office in stains versus having five or six engineers probably so those are the kinds of solutions and again it's really going to be about like having that idea of what you want to achieve so if it's a simple training solution talking it through if you, you you'll see hundreds of independent software vendors with a different pitch with a different piece of software um, so finding out which ones might have that solution that you're looking for or if you have an idea there's lots of them that will do development work for you but there are off-the-shelf solutions as well and uh, they represent good value for money at this point already that was a fantastic uh, summary there harry thank you um and so we'll we'll call that a day and that's our first episode one of uh, season five of explain it wrapped up if any of the points today struck a chord or if you've had experiences using virtual reality technology or have bravely ventured into a metaverse, please let us know as we are keen to hear from you. To do that, you can email us on explainit at softcat.com. Thanks for listening and we'll be back very soon with episode two of Explain It, the greatest podcast, not just in the UK, but on Earth.